Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. Jack Morrow here. A lot of things have happened since the start of my hunt for Grigory Horvath. Secrets stay hidden in Springfield, Missouri, and people die over them. I stay away from it, unless some mission takes me there. It was, is, and likely will be normal. There are a few spots, the area around Finnegan's Wake, the Battlefield Street Cemetery, and Missouri State University campus. Of course there were ghosts to be had at many spots. Folklore, mostly. It was one of those places where the Terre had separated itself from normal reality. I privately called the effect a Protestant reality bubble, where large numbers of low-church Protestants tended to flatten reality against strange happenings. What it means in practical terms, which are the only terms I care for, was that when I'm called out to their locations, it's almost always something weird and something important. Perhaps that was why Rawa had enough stable physics for a nuclear reactor. Control, I'm making this because I don't know any other way to do it. I don't know how to run an organization or branch off to make my own thing. I was made for this sort of work. I think that, well, if you were still you or the you from when I was younger, you'd be taking care of me too. Maybe I'm just asking someone to be my mother. Hell, while you're at it, I could have used a father, too. After these missions and figuring out what's going on with you, I'm going to find my mother again and ask her the hundred questions I have after she ran off Grigory and Abdul the Diviner. The whole story. I need to know more about my father than a name and what he was. Why do people associate me with fire on? Why can't I see beyond the veil when others require magic or items? Why do I hate being around people who don't know of the Terre and those who protect humanity against it? I wish I wasn't human, because then these questions wouldn't bother me. I wouldn't have to think. See, I'm telling you all this because I've learned a lot over the last few hours few weeks. Things, well, I wasn't sure whether they were true or not. Seeing beyond the veil made me a little crazy. I still hear the horns and sounds of the wild hunt in my dreams and waking hours. I want that rush again, to keep that rolling fight going forever, laughing and slaying. I can't remember if I laughed or not. I've started to pray more, and it keeps the nightmares and memories at bay. When I rolled up with the Unismasher to a parking garage outside a theater, 
I noticed that the whole town was growing. It felt organic in that generic city-feel sort of way. I passed through Finnegan's wake without incident. It had been raining, and Springfielders hated rain more than the average city. I ruminated on the time I shared potato skins with a hippie named Pony Boy, and he explained to me how the music industry used Springfield as some sort of testing ground for new bands. I was surprised to find few vampires, though occasionally somebody did end up dying of radiation sickness. You never did ask me to check up on that one, Control. Missouri State University sits on a nice large area with plenty of quads and some rather nice old buildings. There was usually some sort of protest outside the liberal arts building, but no one likes to be wet, cold, and uncomfortable protesting, so I saw little besides a few students driven enough to go to class. I made it to the library and played... I'm from the government to research old newspapers, card that always worked, if they even bothered to ask. Once inside, I beelined for the basement like I owned the place. No one followed me down. I went into the moving shelves, then the fire escape. I had a key and went up the fire escape stairs to the archival floors. I heard their bell tower, which plays a nice little chime sequence every 15 minutes or so including on the hour. I exited the fire escape and again looked like I belong here. Sure, a stern-faced and gangly man who looks like he took a job offer from the 1940s pulp magazine and never updated the wardrobe looked at a place among those yuppies, but I wasn't looking for their approval. Students avoided me unconsciously, not that there were many of them, the archives were bigger on the inside than one would assume. They took up an entire wing, reaching far back, holding in an immense amount of Midwest USA history, such as it was. If I was being honest, I could say that nothing interesting has happened in the Midwest since the Dust Bowl, but pictures of daily life back at the height of the United States were nice. There was a frumpy-looking student running a sort of desk out front, is Grigory in Robert McCarthy. I have paperwork from the Springfield Audiobond Society. She looked at me blankly. The what? Grigory had been fond of birds. It's a society dedicated to bird noises. The name is a pun. We want to discuss some archive work he's heading up for us. Is he in? Oh, I mean, no, I, no. She became confident. No, he left an hour ago. So, something about a friend, I don't, I don't know. I left the archives and spent time dodging the librarians trying to herd everyone out of the library. I slid into some extra large shelving and took a nap behind some French magazines. After I woke up, I investigated the archives. Grigory's cubicle shared no secrets with me, not even an address. The official website address on his location led me to a interesting storefront. And while I do burn down purveyors of pornography, I was more shocked that the school hadn't looked them up. 
The last bits of orange and purple faded from the sky, and night fell softly. I didn't even notice it. Grigory must know I'd find him. He was careful, paranoid like I was. But he wasn't that careful. No one was. People leave more than fingerprints when they touch something. The main archive room, well, that wasn't the stacks, was a large, open area with plenty of tables and spots for research. A couple had been covered in old newspaper clippings and pictures of people I didn't know. I considered this for more than a moment. This stuff was once important to people. They looked happy, part of a society. Everyone shook hands and seemed prosperous. It was a prosperous that didn't strike me as mean or like it would fade away in a generation. It would, but it didn't look like it would, like it does now. Something was watching me with evil intent. I couldn't see it, but something stared at me. It didn't have power behind it, or killing intent. It was just murderous. It would rip me apart with its bare hands or not at all. I waited for it to make itself known. On the other table was a set of pictures marking an electrician's union, specifically a woman's auxiliary. They aged, became fewer, and there weren't other women to join them. The couple that did join weren't cream-of-the-crop women like their elders had been at their youth. They didn't replace themselves. I saw pictures of children, plenty of them. It was strange to watch the decline. Each picture a blank and then five years passed. Then there were five old, old women. And they were the last. I wish I knew where watching a cultural decline led. There's no point in having the knowledge, but also be powerless to use it. I put the pictures back where I found them and wondered about my next choices. Glass shattered. I whipped out my brimstone shotgun. I loaded it with buckshot because, while I could say that burning down that children's hospital was worth it, burning down a library not filled with... Uh, children isn't something I'm willing to stoop to. Sure, the Alexandrian library was a cesspit of Gnosticism, but it did have some histories in it, too. One of the standing cases had shattered. The black metal stood strong, but the glass walls were piles at its feet. Voodoo fetishes lined glass shelves. Why are so many people into fetishes? There were that couple in Spokane, Madame Laveau, Others in other places, it, but I'm not sure what they say about culture or art. It's like pretending to know a lot about wine, but only drinking cheap stuff, except when they're seen. Madame Laveau accepted, of course. There's a painting of some American landscape on the wall hidden behind the fetish display. I picked up one of the statues to examine it. It was gross, all bulbous and misshapen. It depicted a demon or possessed medicine man who was in the middle of his dance. The thing felt like real wood, no imitation. Its edges were sharp but uneven, the work of rough hands and rough tools, but careful design. I put it back. Something ticked on the glass under it. Something was playing with me. I shrugged. Probably nothing, I said. Quite obviously. I turned my back. Something giggled, childish, menacing. 
the whole package. I turned around and blasted the whole piece with my buckshot. The remaining safety glass shattered and not a few of the statues bounced around. Several screeched in tiny voices then fell silent. One or two fell to dust. I ran for the exit and didn't make more than two steps before something tripped me up and dragged me back into the double doors of the archival storage room. I turned and saw five of the little fetishes dragging me by my feet. Their eyes glowed red and their chittering laughter rose in pitch and frequency until it was a solid They leveraged themselves against the floor and flipped me, throwing me above the stacks of books and ran fast enough that they caught up before I lost momentum. The five of them leaped, catching me in the stomach, throwing me through another set of doors, past the rare book room, and into artifact storage. One of them ran for the shotgun that had slipped from my fingers. It didn't reach the shotgun. Instead, I pulled out my 1911 and shot it in the air, the 45 caliber smashing its torso and scattering splinters to the winds. I aimed at the other four, but they split up, my bullet catching one by their little stubby legs. I scrambled up and stomped on it, grinding it under my boots until the laughter stopped. Three more, and they're strong enough to throw me around. Who knew what else was in these archives? I was sure that they would find Stalin's letter opener in here. I wouldn't judge most letter openers, but that one had to be evil. I felt my head. It was bleeding heavily from the side of my temple. I picked up my shotgun. I'd have to use it as a club. Lights and sirens were flashing behind me. I could feel the cool breeze of the environmentally controlled room push against me out the door. I could hear scraping and more of the high-pitched laughter. One of them leaped at me, wielding a pair of scissors. I shot at center mass. I was feeling grateful for Artemis hunting me like an animal. I practiced what I saw her do, and it paid dividends. I felt pins slam into my back through the thick leather of my duster and into the tender flesh. They threw them with machine gun-like rapidity. I didn't turn. That's how they get your eyes. I ran for the stacks, putting metal and cardboard boxes between me and the two remaining terrors. They tried to put pins between the slats, but they didn't land. I'm sure somebody who got acupuncture would make a joke about me getting it for free, but I lack the experience. Besides, my pressure points get weird. Maybe I just didn't want to bear myself to a massage therapist. Human interaction is scary. I think they slathered the pins with something because I started to feel strange, and the air became thick. I reeled on my feet. I saw several pins stick dye their sides to the wall, not point first. I think they gave me the first stages of glue poisoning. I made for the larger opening. If I could get a shot on them, they were toast. I heard them chatter, then split their little wood feet and hands scraping against the smooth concrete floor and clambering up the metal lattices holding up the roof. I took a pot shot at the top one to keep it honest, if a little demonic statue could be such. The one on the floor started kicking boxes of papers and photographs at me, baffling my sight. Something splashed on me and my coat started to smoke. The statue danced away from my muzzle and kicked my hand, cracking more than a bone or two. I batted the thing with my shotgun. I slammed it against the wall, and I followed it up by blasting it with buckshot. 
I followed the last one as it danced in anger above my head. I had to abandon the straight line and ran down the half-maze of archive shelves until I reached the open section with several tables. On a pedestal at the center of the tables sat the ugliest, largest, squattest, evilest, fetish statue I had ever seen. It sat with its head at my waist height. I almost tripped over my own feet when I saw it. The last of the fetish statues did a little dance on top of its head. I aimed, but it jumped into the wide-open pot at the cross feet of its more massive brother. I fired my shotgun at it, but it simply lifted the pot up with a noise like the grinding of ice, and the buckshot was caught by the void in the stone basin. I could see pellets stop in the air and slide through the blackness of the pot like a finger through a bowl of jello. I fired the 1911 with much the same result. The voodoo mech suit, whatever it was, moved fast enough to catch each bullet. The two arms became four. There were two outer arms like any human, but then two arms unfolded themselves to hold the pot. Before I could pop off a shot, the wind direction changed and invisible hands pushed me off balance towards the darkness-filled pot. I holstered my 1911 and grabbed onto the shelving, which thankfully was bolted to the floor. I hooked my shotgun-bearing arm over the supports and pulled myself up, crawling through the space between the shelves, dodging the flying archive pieces which were disappearing into the black hole of the pot as fast as the ugly thing could take it. I reached the next rack. The force was strong enough that it was like gravity had flipped to the center on the black hole pot. I pulled myself through the next rack above my head and stood on the shelf edge. I needed heavier ordnance. I could probably find a stash with a rocket launcher somewhere in the boonies. The paranormal Pinkertons did have a station near an old abandoned church a few miles outside of Springfield. The moving statue of stone, no matter how ugly, was not something my bullets could easily take down. It was ugly, but old, warm, solid. Weak statues wear down, sure, but they're more likely to crack and show age through damage. This thing was worn down by time and time alone. Air was getting thin. The only reason I hadn't passed out was the air system above me detected a change in the airflow and started working overtime to keep the atmosphere the same. I could see air trails from the vents above leading to the black hole pot the thing was holding. With a sound like rolling heat lightning, I heard the thing take a step, the foot slamming down with a sound like a gunshot. I had no idea how long it had been. The police were certainly on their way by now, if not casing the building. I reached for the next row when the suction stopped and gravity righted itself. I fell on my face. This wasn't good. I scrambled up and ran for the exit. With a noise that wasn't so much a noise, but the sheer existence of sound, a wave of pressure and force that rattled the flesh from my bones and my teeth from my head. It was a perfect tube of invisible power that flowed over me, and I was forced to roll with it, out of control. It was like some madman had opened up the greatest church organ that had ever proclaimed the glories of God into the mindiest noise and thrown it at me like a spear. I was being crushed by a vice while hands smaller than viruses tried to pull apart my atoms all at once. My eyes were open, but I saw nothing but blackness. I could only hear the beat of my own heart.
My hands trembled and boiling blood fell on my exposed skin. I might have been vomiting. I felt my body convulse in ways I didn't know was possible. I felt the cool concrete of the floor cracking and cutting into my cheek. It wasn't pain I felt, but the cold of exposed flesh into the open air. I couldn't move. My whole body was jelly. I choked on blood and couldn't breathe. My eardrums somehow survived, and the beat of my heart slowed down. I heard and felt the steps of the voodoo statue. I couldn't reach for my 1911 or the shotgun. I couldn't even tell if I had been moving at all. It came nearer. It bent with the sound of a tree trunk cracking, and its fingers grabbed my shirt and coat, picked me up like I was a sack of potatoes. It carried me down a fire escape, silent but for its monstrous footsteps, its fingers holding me up like it was nothing. It smashed through the last fire escape. I could hear police sirens in the distance. The voodoo statue walked into the night. A vehicle with terrible transmission and a massive flatbed was waiting for it. It dropped me on the floor and then sat with a shaking like an earthquake. Something started to chatter and whisper to itself and I could hear the engine start. Another person got into the vehicle and shut the door. He walked near to me and knelt near my head, checking my neck. Within a moment, he was binding my wounds, tying off my hands, and frisking my body for weapons. I recognized the accent of Grigory Horvath, sitting or standing off to the side. It was quasi-southern, a theatric old Missouri, but not deep. It needled on my eardrums. He had been born and bred here, but unlike me, he was part of a clan. Supposedly, he was related to Jesse James, but not by blood. Well, now, can't have you passing on to your reward now, can we? You're bleeding like a casino fountain, but you ain't worth anything to me, Dad. We'll treat you real nice, and then, when you can talk back, we'll have ourselves a nice, polite conversation. You're a valuable man, Jack Morrow, and you're all mine. It took me a month before I could see. Movement came sooner, and I spent most of the time doing exercises, push-ups, and so on. It hurt, but I needed the pain. I needed to remember it. I let things go too far. I wouldn't let it happen again. Gregory kept me in a nice dry hole in a cave somewhere. Like I've said throughout these missions, Missouri is full of caves, but so are the Ozarks in Arkansas. Fun fact, they stay cool in the summer and warm in the winter. I was pretty comfy for being stuck in a hole until Grigory's goodwill wanted me. I put my fingers over every square inch. No cracks, not smooth, but no cracks I could lever open. They tossed my hole daily, keeping me naked. I think they even checked my bucket when they emptied it out. They didn't even give me a spoon to eat my porridge with, and single ply for my toilet paper. The rest of the time I spent thinking. In the field, I try not to think too much. It works against action. I can't think a werewolf to death, after all. A person who might have been abducted by fairies for a deadly dancing contest doesn't want you to think. Sentience is a gift from God, but empathy is to be learned. Not that I was a very empathetic person. I spent a lot of time in prayer. 
even though the wild hunt happened months ago now. It was still stuck in my head. The spiders, the elves hunting me for sport, Artemis and Lieber de Mont. Then there's Mordred, larger than life, beating me to an inch of my own. But what he said bothered me more. People, elves, demons, even angels are always meddling, making things weird for everyone else. He called me a pauper, a spiritual one. I, Jim, and Sean are fighting against the princes and powers of this world. Whether stewards of nature like the elves, or the shadows that haunt the night in dreams of mankind, or the grime that cities build with their mere existence, we are not fighting foes of pure flesh and blood. That voodoo statue proved it to me. I can't burn them out or hunt them like they can hunt me, but I could become stronger, bring more firepower. I had the feeling it was at my fingertips, but I had to ask for it. It's not a promise that it'll be given to you, but it's a promise that you'll be heard. It's enough. We needed to become more. I was told that I might be the most vicious Pinkerton of my generation, but I understood that I needed to be more. Do more, slay more. I submitted my spirit. It wasn't easy. I wrestled with myself, my pride, my hatred, my wrath, my burning desire to hide, to be nothing. Eventually I felt peace and could sleep. My blindness was a blessing. I saw more when my eyes healed. When I felt strong enough, I ambushed the guy who gave me food. I wasn't going to stay in a cave forever. I was being healed for some reason, and likely it wasn't one I'd like. The energy for the guy was right for it, a sort of ready-to-be-done. He had never spoken to me. I pretended to sleep a little too close to my food bowl and the corner where I kept my waste bucket. I had slipped my bonds a week ago, but I kept the things around for appearance's sake. The guard made a mistake and turned his back to me. He wasn't a professional soldier, just a memory of Gregory's clan, but he had the careful steps of a hunter. He had never spoken to me, but he felt like every Missourian I had been near before, calm but ready, almost expecting something to happen, but more than willing to be surprised. Surprise him I did, in less than a breath I had my arm around his neck, and I cinched him. He pulled a knife, but I had closed off his neck's blood vessels and he never had a chance to use it. I took the knife in his clothes. He would have to live with the embarrassment. I ran for the hall and checked, expecting another guard. Nothing. My cell, my little hole, was unguarded. Their mistake. I kept quiet and low, slow, looking for others, but finding no one. There were storehouses filled with jerky or other dried foods, raw material. I must admit they were well prepared for an apocalypse. They were also surprisingly fireproof. Well, I'd have time for that later. Business before pleasure. The halls of the shelter were empty. Most of them were just empty rooms, cots, and boxes of goods. The lights above flickered, and I heard a generator kick in with a groan. Whatever was happening to this place, it was running down. I could tell how the generator choked that hadn't been cared for right. Every five minutes, it started to die. Sometimes in the night, it did. I kept a mental count of its lifeline and timed my searches to the clock.
I found Grigory sitting in a large dining room. Benches and tables lined a hall, enough to sit about fifty people. Grigory was a thin man, severe. I didn't know he was so thin. He was never a fat man, but I never had weight over him. Even with my body healed up, I still had maintained more muscle than he had. Not that I had seen him in the Myers library. A bushy beard, patchy and ragged, flowed down his chest. In one hand, he held the 1911. Mine. Grandfather gave it to my mother to give to me before he died. I wanted it back. There were no windows, and the only light above were some fluorescent lights. I walked towards him. He didn't say anything, so I did. Where's your voodoo pet? I have business with it. Well, now, that's your first question? Fine. Its contract with me is up. Besides, you think I'd let something like that that close to my family's hidey hole? Those things leave a stink in the shadows no amount of bleach can ever remove. What was it? He sucked his teeth, ice-blue eyes half-hidden under heavy lids to watch me come closer. A powerful Loire from Haiti. I understand it lives in New Orleans now. Lives is a strange word for it, I guess. He scratched himself with the muzzle of my gun, running it through his pale blonde hair. Well, it wasn't white. How about you stay where you are, Jack Morrow? No closer. The gun wasn't pointed at me, but the muscles were tense. All right. I grabbed one of the benches and sat on it. You kill my nephew? No, but he's going to have a hell of a headache. Are you waiting for something? Yes, for your buyers. Corpos took their sweet time. Suited bastards from cities too good to dirty their heels with good land and strong familiar blood. Why work for them? Money and security. They have power and they're planning on changing the world. Besides all that hero stuff is crap. When they came to the homestead and offered me and my clan safe passage, I took that ticket to ride. Paranormal Pinkertons, Ultra Terror, and God be damned. I scowled. My response came out as a hiss. God damned, huh? May he rebuke you then. His smile was weak. He just might. I've heard of it. Let me ask you a question. Question, question. He gestured from me to him. Why are you sticking with the paranormal Pinkertons? Because they take care of me and the fight is worth it. There's nothing else to it, really. What happened in September during the server change? Ooh. Agents from various organizations met with the paranormal Pinkertons and made offers. Your life or your service. Of course, it wasn't so clear-cut for all of them, but for me it was. I'm practical like that. My price was the safety of my family and enough gold to make it happen. Others, I don't know. It was subtle, tailored to every man jack of them. Holt took something and died, or not died, just different and magic as hell. I'm not sure how. Spooky boys like him and Jim were always odd ducks. 
Jim, I think they figured he'd come to them sooner or later, natural-like. Sean, Morgana Le Fay was protecting him, or called Dibs, uh, though I thought it was just a matter of time before he'd have his dance with death. But he proved us wrong. Garfield was killed by the magician because they knew he was a stiff. Others were turned, others killed. My daughter told me about Holt. Garfield was announced over the server during your incarceration by Sean, of all people. Good entertainment for a Friday night. I deduced the rest. You can say what you want about my reasoning, but if I live and my family lives and we can still do good, or just survive. Besides, what's the point? America's going down that slow death all nations do. A new republic, an American empire, something sci-fi in the books of two-quoted and two-dead Englishmen who spurn God and their fellow man. Who knows? I don't care. It's all the dead, the feasting, and the dying. He looked into my eyes with a steady gaze. His soul meant every word. I know you, and I know your argument against me. I'll respond as such. There's few enough heroes, and fewer still sages giving those heroes swords. You can't expect me to die for what old men won't live for. Jack, where's your mama? I don't know. But the letter for Madame Laveau. I never read it. He swore violently, stomping his foot. Well, fine. Your turn. He checked his watch. Let's say one more each. Abdul will be here soon, and I don't want his magical ass to spend too much time here. Men like him leave slime trails worse than the damnable Loire. I thought about my question. What makes me valuable? Or what gives me value? Why do you want me? I dig your meaning. And I ain't got much more than a guess, mind. Uh, you're some sort of sacrifice from conception. Like a pig raised by hand for a Christmas slaughter. To what or from whom, I, I do not know. I deduce most of this from whispers and half-spoken words. All I know is that your mother snatched you away in the dead of night and you weren't burned in the hands of whatever bastard demon they worshipped. I couldn't tell you much else about it. I wish I could. Ain't right for a man to not know his past. I can't even tell you your daddy's name. He was high in the ranks of the circles of Otraterre, but he was human, though. They talked about him getting old when they thought I wasn't listening. Thanks. It helps. He waved his gun. I can tell you would give much for a guaranteed shot to kill me, but I ain't a man for dying. Now here's my last question, Jack. Will you come quietly? Somebody's entered my perimeter. I'll be back when I can for the rest. Jack Morrow out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. 
and licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Ben Wheeler, who also edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our audio editor. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Support us on Patreon or email us at PinkertonsGhosts at gmail.com. Be sure to check out our unauthorized episodes as well. Thank you for listening.